Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, emerging perspectives on people, process, and profits. Your host is Olivia Parr-Rood. In today's fast-paced, high-tech global economy, the business landscape is constantly evolving. To be successful, companies must continually adapt as well as identify and exploit new opportunities. Now, here is the host of Quantum Business Insights, Olivia Parr-Rood. Hi, Olivia here, and welcome to Quantum Business Insights, where each week we explore new perspectives on the changing nature of business with thought leaders from around the world, and with a special emphasis on what I feel is our most valuable asset, our human capital. So today I am thrilled to have as my guest Dr. Janice Presser. Dr. Janice, a nickname by which she is well known in the Twitter universe, is CEO of the Gabriel Institute, where she is a behavioral scientist and the architect of teamability, a completely new technology that measures how people will perform in teams. And she is recognized as a thought leader in qualitative assessment and human infrastructure management methods. Janice, welcome to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, Olivia. Great to be here. Thank you. My pleasure. So as most of my listeners know, I am a data geek. So I love anything that can be measured. And there's lots of measures for individuals, our IQ, our EQ, or emotional intelligence. But the concept of being able to measure a team or a group of humans in the process of working together is really appealing. So tell us, what is teamability? And maybe share a little bit about the history behind its development. Wow, it has a long history. You know, we do so much of our work in teams. In fact, I've had been hard-pressed to think of any job that doesn't involve interacting with somebody, whether they're the people on your work team or if you're in sales. uh, If you can't team with a prospect, you're probably not going to get very far. So you're right. It's the human part of business that's so critical for everything we do. And yet back when I was in my first job, I was not very happy. You know, I had people who were nice people to work with, but I didn't feel like I was doing anything that really felt like it was my mission in life. And yeah, we can go through life just working at a job and maybe even liking the people that we work with and maybe even having a boss that we like. But when that piece is missing, that total immersion in what we do, that real joy, uh, just doesn't happen. And so I started to think about it, and I was just a baby behavioral scientist at that time, and I was thinking, why doesn't this work like science works? And so fast forward many years of observing teams that worked, and a lot of teams that don't, and I'll tell you, I worked in healthcare for a while, and uh, when teams work well in the emergency room, people live. Mm. When they don't work so well, sometimes they don't. I, I was also president of a sheet metal manufacturing company at one time in my young life. It was a family business. Somebody had to run it. And that's when I started to realize that a lot of industrial accidents happen when people are just, something's wrong. They're just not paying attention. They're really not deeply involved in what they're doing and focused on it. And so I asked myself that question, you know, can you predict this? And so, you know, being involved in, in uh, well, behavioral sciences, I went through all of the ways that we knew how to measure people. 
And this goes back to when there were 16 personality factors uh, before they got whittled down to four or five or whatever is commonly used, uh, perhaps what people uh, who are listening have used. And I realized that while they, there was nothing wrong with them, you could get interesting metrics out of them. In fact, they weren't looking at what goes on between people. And in that white space, you know, the white space is on your org chart, not inside the boxes. And I was very lucky in the mid-1980s, I actually met another behavioral scientist who was on my wavelength, and he was much more organized than me. So he organized a review of everything. And finally, one day we sat down and we said, this is not working. There's something wrong with us. And that's when it occurred to both of us that we have been looking at this in completely the wrong way. So we asked the question then, what would a team need if we thought of a team as if it were a living, breathing being? What would it need? And when we turned the question around, we realized we were looking at something completely different. We were no longer looking at things that are inside people, like how smart they are or you know, anything like that, but we were looking at how do they wish to serve something much bigger than they are. And then lots of years of research, uh, more, uh, you know, the numbers start getting pretty high now. And, uh, and we, we learn through a lot of study and, and, and analysis and all that, that in fact, all organizations, no matter how big or small or what industry, I mean, really, it's no different if it's a scout troop or it's a Fortune 10, they all have the same needs, and there are 10 of them. And when people do work that's aligned with the one that they want to fill, whatever they're drawn to, what actually can feel like it's your mission in life, amazing things happen. First of all, you lose a whole lot of stress, so you can work a whole lot more, so your personal productivity can go up. But more important, when the team has the people that it needs, that want to fill its needs, then it's amazing. They start to find each other and work and create this amazing collaborative team structure in which work actually becomes more fun than fun. I hope you've had that experience. Once you've had it, you just don't want to go back to a different way. Absolutely. So are these uh, needs, are they what you call your roles within a team? They are one, that's the first of the three elements of teaming. The teamability actually identifies, measures, and it helps you put into the, the structure of a team so you actually can structure teams, actually design them from the beginning to do what it is that you need to have done. If you give this team the right mission and you have the people who align with that mission who want to come together with that, uh, and they are the kind of people who can deal with whatever level of stress is involved with that, because you know startups aren't the same as other teams. Startups take, you know, much more stressful. Then you actually can create that structure. So that was, in fact, the first thing we were looking at, and we called it Role with a capital R. And there are 10 of them. And in fact, they can be filled by people 
who really don't seem very similar in any other way. Uh, gender doesn't have anything to do with it, not race, not age, not nationality. We tested for all of those. And, um, uh, and any kind of personality or how smart you are or the things that you know to do, it doesn't matter. If the team has a need that you want to fill, you can learn how to do what other, other uh, requirements there are if they're learnable in the short term. Or you probably already have studied those things. I mean, who would go into data analysis who didn't like, oh, being analytic? And every team that requires analysis requires somebody like that. So let me just make sure I understand. So when you bring a team together for a purpose, it sounds like in the past maybe company would say, who wants to work on this? And then they would assign the roles. But it sounds like you actually define the roles to meet the need and then find the people that fit those roles. Is that accurate? Exactly. Exactly. So for instance, on a strategy team, which would look like a typical board of a large company, you will predominantly have what we call the vision roles. So you'll have founders. Those are the people who come up with great big ideas that probably won't get completed in, you know, for a very long time. People sometimes ask me, how could you have worked on this problem for that many years? Because what I didn't tell you is once we had nailed down the roles, it then took almost 10 years to build the technology. Wow. Because it, well, it doesn't, it doesn't work like other things, so some things had to be done first. And because there also are two other elements of teaming that are very important and you have to interlock those, otherwise you're missing something important that the team needs. So a, a typical, a typically you'd have some founders because they do come up with big vision ideas. And then you need people who enjoy driving those visions into strategic reality. And those are the people who do strategy and analysis and all of those, those kind of big picture things that push business to be successful. So you'll see lots of high level executives who are what we call vision movers. And in fact, you'll have some companies where the whole executive team seems to be vision movers. And that's where there can be a problem because big visions and visions getting moved is great. But before you do all that stuff, it's great to have a vision former to partner with the vision movers and shape up those big ideas so that they're more workable, more elegant, uh, in some cases, even more, dare I say, ethical, because sometimes vision movers are so anxious to move that vision that they forget that there are people involved in it who may not be ready to, to make that move. Um, and who may not want to feel like they're being run over. So a balanced team has that partnering of moving and forming, and the synergy that comes out of that actually reduces the stress of the whole team. You know, it's unlike when you have teams that are highly unbalanced. I dare say I don't know the truth, but Enron, in, in the height of all of its troubles, or just before the troubles came out, sounded like they had a lot of vision movers. 
and they probably selected against vision formers because the vision former would have sat in one of those strategy meetings and said, wait a minute, um, let's talk about compliance for a moment, our code of ethics, or, or maybe just claim what's the thing to do that won't get us into trouble down the line. Does that make sense? Yes, and it reminds me of things I've heard about companies struggling with innovation, which is that they've got all these visionaries, but they don't have the people on the team to actually implement them, make sure they get tested, you know, all the things that are necessary to actually turn it into profit. So that totally makes sense. So is an entire business, let's just say we want to, a company comes to you and they want to employ this theory, would the first step be to see if the whole company works together as a team rather than even thinking of forming a team within the company? Does that make sense? Well, the first thing to do is to send everybody through their own teamability experience. And that's actually fun. That's how we elicit people's teaming behavior and generate the metrics that you then use. First, you need to know something about who are the people that we have then it's really not very difficult. What you have to do is ask the question, what are you trying to do? If you're an innovation company, you may have lots of great idea generators, vision movers, even vision formers. But if you don't have people to hand it down to who actually deploy, those are the action movers, and manage the product, the projects so that all the details are done, action formers, they work together also, then it may happen that nothing happens. You may not get to where you're trying to get to. Um, and in every project, you need somebody who goes outside and brings cool new things in because sometimes the thing that you need, uh, you just don't generate inside. Explorers go outside and they bring treasures into a company. And they're so valuable, but they're even more valuable when there's a handoff within the company to the people who are the watchdogs. Those are the people who take all those wonderful things and make sure that they go where they're going to do the most good, not for the individuals, but for the team as a whole. So they're acting in the service of the team as if it is this, you know, as if it's really a human being um, meeting its needs. And then, you know, something always goes wrong. I, whatever you're doing, you need somebody to come in and do the quick fixes. Conductors, they come and they solve those little problems. They, you know, they're like quality control people. They're the fixers of the world, and they work best with the with the um, curators who are. Well, you might think of them as the subject matter experts. I think of them as the people who know where the bodies are buried. <laughs> and then finally. You need to have the communicators who partner with the founders and spread that vision around and make sure that everybody is on the same page and knows what's going on. And so they'll go from the top of the organization to the bottom to the far-flung reaches and really inspire people with the founders' vision. And then it comes together. That's fascinating because I think we might tend to want to have people like us. So I'm really creative and I don't like being regimented. And when I, I can kind of do that for myself, but sometimes I need other people. But that 
it may be not the kind of person I would want on a team, but it sounds like what you're saying is to really be successful, you need all of those different aspects or people with those different qualities to really make it work. Is that fair to say? If, if, if you have enough people to fill the needs of your team at the moment, and if it's a startup, you might not need everybody. It's okay. People who like doing startups will often flex. They'll do much more than one role. And that's fine. But it comes to the point where you want to give over to someone else. And I can tell you, when I started the company, it was not that difficult for me to be daring and do it because I'm both a founder and a vision mover, like most entrepreneurs are. And so I could get the push off. But I had to do the vision forming for myself. The day that my executive vice president appeared as if by magic, I know it was like a blessings from heaven kind of thing. And he was there, and he was ready to fill those needs of our growing team. I relaxed so much, and the synergy grew so much, because now I could focus on what I do best, and he could focus on what he could do best, and together, that just it came together, and it made the possibility of being able to grow. Yeah, that really makes sense. So we're just about up on a break, so I think we'll go to the break. And um, my guest today is Dr. Janice Presser, and you can read about her work and teamability at thegabrielinstitute.com, and we'll be back in a minute. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Our workplace is dynamically changing. How do you stay ahead of the curve with respect to learning and training? Tune in every week to The Future of Workforce Learning and Development with host Pamela Robinson. You'll learn about real-world strategies, solutions, and resources that will showcase these changes and keep you ready for what's next. The Future of Workforce Learning and Development is heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be, or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kurt Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr-Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, Olivia, back with Dr. Janice Presser. And today we're talking about teamability and how you can actually measure 
the roles of a team and fit them with the right people to make your team successful. So before the break, we were talking about some of the roles and touched on the elements of teaming. But I'd like Janice, if Dr. Janice, if you would tell me more about the elements of teaming. Can you describe right. them and how you measure them? Okay, so, so role, they are all measured at the same time by having a team ability experience. So I think I'm going to tell you a little bit about what a team ability experience is like. Is that okay? That'd be great. Thanks. Our big challenge was to figure out how to elicit teaming from people so that we could actually see it. I mean, you can observe it, but we wanted to be, of course, objective and be able to put metrics around it. And so what we do, this is what a team ability experience is like. You are going to star in a series of 10 movies. I mean, what's a movie? It's a project. It's just like work. And it's just like having a project team. A movie has a beginning. It has an end. It has a problem. And we come together and we solve it. That's, that's why we like movies. And so we present you with a movie. Now, you don't see an actual movie. You see the stage set that you would be walking onto because you are going into this movie. And there's a little blurb that tells you what the plot of the movie is. Essentially, what's the problem people are coming together to solve? And then there are a series of ten characters. Now, for women, they're all women, and for men, they're all men. And, well, we don't do DNA testing, so it's okay if you want to do the other one, but that's just for convenience. They're really the same characters. It's just too hard to imagine yourself back and forth in different gendered roles. And you make some selections with radio buttons. It's technically very easy, and uh, it's compatible with voice uh, computers if, uh, if vision is an issue. And you then make these selections. And by the way, whatever you choose, don't worry. You are the star of this movie. So there are no social implications to your choices. And you pick what resonates with you. You go through the first one, and then there are nine more takes about 45 minutes, an hour or so, and when you're done, you get your own self-coaching report, and the, if a team analysis is being done, if you're part of a, a team, then the other report comes to me, or whoever is doing the, uh, the consulting on that, and we can then look at the team as a whole against what the team's requirements are, and then make a whole lot of suggestions and that can very often, uh, you have a team that actually could do really well if they just had some more resources. Sometimes it's you have somebody who's really not happy with what they're doing on that team, and there's someone else who's really not quite happy with everything they're doing on that team. And, you know, some people say, well, if you're doing 50% of you know, your job is, is making you enjoy it, then that's pretty good. Well, I think why should you settle for less than 100 when it would be so easy to just swap out a couple of tasks between people and align what you ask people to do with who they really, really are and the way in which they want to contribute. And it's amazing when you make those small changes how the productivity just goes up. It's the team collaboration depends on the collaborative team structure. If you're structured for collaboration, 
in the sense of how people want to contribute, then you get much better productivity. But there are two other elements of teaming that you also need to consider. Now, the second one is called coherence. And, well, if you took physics in high school or, or college, you might remember something about coherent sound. That sound that doesn't have noise or interference. Um, or you might be aware of what coherent light is. That's laser light. So, you know, what's exciting about light is if I take a flashlight and I turn it on, by the time it gets across the room, it's all faded and diffused, right? But if I take a high-grade laser, and I, don't try this yourself, kids, but, I mean, one of those scientific lasers, and it gets flashed from the Earth to the moon, almost a quarter of a million miles away, you will see on the moon a circle that is a mile and a quarter in diameter. That's how focused a laser light is. Now, translate that to human interaction, and it answers a whole lot of questions. When people are coherent, and yes, this can be measured, what they uh, are are they're neither rigid or diffuse. People who are on the diffuse side or on the rigid side can be fine if they don't have to, like, like the laser light, travel a quarter of a million miles. If they're in a closely held team and it's not very stressful, it'll be fine. But under, you know, under stress, people who are either really rigid or really diffuse just don't do as well. Now, how do you measure the amount of stress, that, stress resiliency that's required? Well, you can make some assumptions. If you are a startup team, stress is very high. If you're trying to institute some new change, if you're going after big innovation, what's the speed at which you're doing business? You know, there, uh, that varies enormously. And so the more stressful, the more ambiguity, the more coherent you need people to be on that. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. So what happens if a team does this assessment or you, you find out that all the roles but a few are filled, then would you look outside perhaps? I mean, seems logical, but you're not always well, assuming that could, the people that show could, up are going to fill everything, right? I'm really in favor of looking at who else do you have because so many times somebody's been looking for someone to lead the team. But let's say the, the lead for the team, whether that's a manager or an executive vice president, that person is leaving, retiring, getting another job, and they look around and they say, oh, we don't have anybody like that person. But mm. it's not that you need somebody like that person in the externals. You need somebody who can contribute at that level in that way be able to deal with whatever stress or ambiguity factors there are, and also has the right teaming characteristics, and that's the third element of teaming. Uh, There are tens of thousands of different teaming characteristics, and they help you fine-tune what's going on on the team. You might think of them as cultural factors, fit factors, and I I just read a number today uh, that came out of a Gallup study that said something like, Uh, 82% of the time, companies are getting it wrong when they're hiring somebody to manage from outside the company. That's awfully high. 
And a lot of it has to do with the fact that we often don't recognize that leadership comes in a lot of flavors. It doesn't always look the way you think it will look. I mean, look at, you know, with, look at the statistics on women and minorities in high levels of leadership. It's not that they are any different in the ability to be able to take those jobs on. And we've got some, you know, we've, we've looked at, at this from a, a discriminatory uh, aspect. And no, there is no difference, but sometimes the externals, are, they're what we see. And for instance, um, people are often surprised to learn that I'm a CEO and I used to be president of a sheet metal manufacturing company. And, well, I'm barely 5'2". I just, and of course, there's the woman thing, too. Um, I just don't fit what you think someone should look like. And we can't underestimate how strong that is. We're mm. human beings. We make judgments sometimes in very irrational uh, ways and ways that don't give us the maximization of the people who we have. And that's very sad. That's very sad. Yeah, and it so sounds like by measuring people through these assessments, you can get past all those biases and actually see, without regard to race or creed or color or whatever, who would be the best. Even. Yes, the most exciting thing is that especially, you know, especially now so many of us are on virtual teams. We don't see the other people. So we have an even bigger barrier to cross. And when we have a high level of coherence, the messages get through better. When we have teaming characteristics, let's say we don't have any that are really bad fits for that position, uh, everything moves smoother. But the most exciting thing that I experienced that I've had since I've been doing this, and it's a long time, has been being able to say to someone, do you know you have the perfect person right here and you didn't know it? This is one of my favorites because it's a very... Uh, it was our very first uh, customer when we started the, the business. And uh, what they did was they promoted a purchasing manager to the, the head of sales. And, wow. well, I have to say, it took me 14 months to get them to do it while they had a few more failures. And I said, but you have right under your nose the perfect person for this. And the exciting thing is, five years later, they made her chief operating officer. It's very That's exciting. so inspiring. Now, <laughs> I have to add one other thing. Mm, it's, an, yes. it's an Asian company. They, they didn't believe that any woman could rise above a supervisor level, above the lowest manager level. And so that was very exciting because to watch success, she's had the, uh, that job... She's been helping them manage that company to amazing success now. Uh, it's almost seven years in that, in that position after straightening out sales. And it was very exciting. And so many other companies have in another layer of, 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 their, uh, of their company, down in the layer below, the perfect people ready to rise up if they were given the opportunity, only for some reason, they may not look like somebody's idea of someone who would be successful in that job. That's really interesting, and it reminds me of a story I heard, which I think I've shared on this show before, but that when Taco Bell was in trouble, they actually got the idea 
for a taco pizza from one of their janitors. So you just never know. <laughs> you you never know, and um, and you know, and that's a company that's opened themselves up to amazing creativity and social creativity uh, in terms of of social media and everything. That's uh, so it's exciting, but it requires the, a, a very important management principle that comes out of teamability. And this is really exciting. It's about respect. We tend to be able to mouth, oh, yes, we need to trust people and respect them and all of that. But we've researched this a long time, and respect is not generic. How somebody actually experiences respect or appreciation, for that matter, is very much aligned with their role. It's really amazing. So if you want to respect, um, say, a, an action mover, action movers are people who never have enough time in the day to get everything done. They're just amazing. They're like the good neighbor who uh, works all day and then uh, runs the, uh, the scout troop and the cookie drive and, and is always available to, to you to help you because that's the way they are. Um, but they can run into trouble when they're working with communicators. Communicators are the lovable people of the world. They're so friendly. Everybody likes them. They know everything that's going on. But they don't do too well tracking time. That's kind of the good news and the bad news. Because when you're talking to them, they give you that feeling that they have all the time in the world for you. And it's a wonderful feeling. So everybody likes them. Um, but if they're on a team with an action mover and they don't understand that they are contributing different things and so they need to be respected, the action mover needs to be thanked for their time. Thank a communicator for their time goes right over their head. For that matter, you know, it goes over the heads of most people who aren't action movers. And yet, if you only know how to respect that person in the way that will truly resonate with them, you can manage your team so much better. You can motivate people better, and you actually can increase that collaboration and reduce the stress that causes people to not want to be there. You know, people talk about engagement. Well, you know, you can ask people, are you engaged by saying, you know, are you going to be here in nine months? Uh, that was one study that I read. Well, that's not engagement to me. I want to know not if your body's going to be here. Is your mind going to be here? Is your heart going to be here? Is your soul going to be here? Uh, are you going to be here contributing to your team at the level that it needs in the way that it needs that creates that collaboration? Yeah, and by each person being valued for whatever their talent would in my, it would seem like it would give them more confidence so that they could, and feel more respected because even though something that annoyed people before was, is now so valuable. So Exactly. And people, are, there's a thing that happens. Well, see, action formers are really organized people. And I learned to totally treasure them above all because that's probably my worst failing. I'm just about the most disorganized person from a standpoint of just remembering where I'm supposed to be and, and all of that. And when somebody does that in the interest of the team, they're not doing it for me, but in the interest of the big vision of making sure that whatever it is that I have to be at actually happens, mm-hmm. then 
we're both contributing, and our contributions are actually equally important. And that's deserving of respect. But I have many colleagues and peers who uh, will put down those skills and say, well, that's not very important. We don't pay those people very much. And, and I think to myself, well, what would you do if they all walked out one day and you had to do it yourself? It would cost you even more because it would distract you from doing what you do. It's, so that, and it goes on, and it goes on and on. It's um, there are many methods. If you just introduce people to their role partner, the vision movers work with the vision formers, and the action movers work with the action formers, and so on. And if they know those resources, those people are there to make their work better, easier, faster, more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. It brings people closer together. It actually trades on the natural interdependencies that you have when you have a human infrastructure. And, you know, just like a building infrastructure, human infrastructures hold up business. True. And one of the things we're finding is with the growth of technology and specialization and the rate of change in the economy, the human capital is becoming much more important. And so those interdependencies, I think, would be as important or or growing in importance as well. Uh, I did want to ask you about, you mentioned pay. So do you actually have something that you advise people to equalize pay more, you know, between jobs that may seem unequal in other realms? I leave the finance to the finance people, but what I do suggest is that you understand what motivates people. And it's not always pay, mm, per se. Yeah, vast inequities don't make a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, if you and, and pay, certainly paying people uh, appropriately is going to have to do with is the company very profitable or is it a startup? In fact, many people will join a startup at virtually no pay because they want to be there. They love the excitement of building, and uh, they don't mind uh, eating uh, the same noodles with everybody else because they actually enjoy sitting around together uh, and doing that. So you first have to ask, you know, what's going to motivate these people and what, you know, what's appropriate, what's respectful for them. Uh, somebody who's an expert in this area once told me that you should pay people at the 80th percentile if you want to retain them. And, you know, again, depending on who's competing for your people and how important are they, you know, that's, that's it. That's why I've actually, the term human capital sometimes gets my back up because I'm not a dollar bill on legs. But when you think about when we put capital together with people and machinery, maybe depending on, the, you know, what the company is doing, we create something so much bigger. And it's the same thing when we add your way of wanting to contribute along with your amazing resume of things you know how to do and, and skills you have and maybe even things like, oh, I don't know, security clearances or licenses to do things. And we add them with, uh, with, with, uh, with mine and with some of the other, uh, some other people's. The question of what we get is we don't want it to be your worth plus my worth plus the other people's worth. 
We want it to be bigger than that. We want it to be our work together to be more. That's where the synergy comes out of. Well, that's great. We're just up on a break, but I, I really want to just frame that in, the, in terms of quantum physics because that's what they're proving, that the, the whole is not the sum of the parts. Some of the parts, it's greater than that. And that's kind of the focus of my show is to see how all these systems work together to really improve yeah. things in interaction. Huh? So, yeah. thanks. So, we're up on a break. I'm with Dan- Dr. Janice Presser from the Gabriel Institute, and we'll be back in a minute. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Does your business, like many, face obstacles to becoming successful? Would you love to have an open forum of entrepreneurial ideas and best practices brought to you each week? Tune in for The Second Stage with hosts Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. We'll spotlight entrepreneurs and growing companies that are creating a vibrant economic base, as well as addressing some of the obstacles that could be standing in the way of your success. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, Olivia here, back with Dr. Janice Presser. And we're talking about team ability. And I just wanted to let everybody know if you want more information on team ability, just Google it. And if you use the registered trademark, it'll get you closer. You might find there's another link that goes to a children's play, playing on teams. But other than that, most of what you'll find is is Dr. Janice's work, and you can also follow her at Dr. Janice on Twitter. So when we, um, when we, before the break, we were talking about the elements of teaming and some of the aspects of creating a strong team. Uh, have you had experience with teamability reducing turnover rates? Oh, yes. Oh, here's my absolute favorite one. This is a very fast-growing company, about a billion, probably heading toward two already, uh, that's in the mining industry. And, you know, it's not so easy to find people who want to run a mine that's, oh, there's one in so far north in Canada that I understand it's a four-hour drive to the nearest place to get beer. And it doesn't even have a town name. It's known by its longitude and latitude. Now, you do not want to lose good people who were there. But they had, oh, this is about four years ago, I think now, 
they had a 30% new hire turnover rate. Now, if you're listening, you don't know what how turnover rates calculated. It's pretty simple. You look at how many people work for you and then how many people left in the last year. And if it's new hires, you'll look at how many new people did you bring on and how many left in the last year. And that's particularly expensive. So they were not uh, too happy with that. And uh, we met the CEO of the company, and uh, he let us try it. He had, a, he had a problem. He had somebody that he had hired, and now he was having second thoughts. And so he... The uh, person went through team ability, and I said, well, uh, this is somebody who really is not aligned with what he wants to do and what you need for running that mine are not really the same. And uh, it was kind of, I said, he'd be fine on your strategy team, but when it comes to that day-to-day stuff... You need somebody who is going to focus on safety and all those day-to-day issues that are very immediate. It's a different kind of leadership. In fact, it's an action-mover job. And uh, so he said, oh, um, he said, you know, he said, when we bought the mine and the, the president uh, retired, he said there was a person there who we thought really wanted the job, but he just didn't look right. Well, when you run a mine, <laughs> you usually don't dress in a three-piece suit. And, and they hired a three-piece suit guy because they could trot him out to the investors. And, you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't look the same way. He said, do you think it's too late? I said, it's never too late for people. Sad to say, the man had left, the, uh, left for another opportunity to run something else. Uh, but, you know, he, was, uh, he lived there, and he, they could find him because he still had friends at the mine. And when he went through teamability, I said to the CEO of the company, I said, get him immediately, and if you ever find another person like him, <laughs> hire that person, and then go out and find a mine for them to manage, because this is a person who is born to manage that kind of business, and it's going to be wonderful. Within moments, practically, it seemed like overnight, their new hire turnover dropped to zero. And it has essentially stayed there. They actually won an award. They won a supernova award from Constellation Research uh, two years after. I think that was uh, two years in to that. And, uh, And it's gone on another two years. And effectively, hardly anyone leaves or needs to leave because people are now doing work that's aligned with the way in which they want to contribute. And they can, they're, they've got the right coherence and they've got the right team and characteristics and they've got the right teams with them because that's the next important thing. The best thing you could give to a new manager is a team ability, team analysis of the people who they're managing because they'll go in knowing how to get the right response for them because they'll know how to respect them and how to appreciate them and how to actually talk to them. Once you know, it's an amazing thing. You actually can use that. So that was was a very exciting uh, turnover number, but we see that all the time because when you attack all the different aspects of it, both getting the right people in 
and also managing them in a way that kind of glues them into the company and gets them excited to be there every day, uh, well, you're naturally going to get fewer people leaving. So it sounds like this is something any company could use, even if it's just to validate that they've got it right. Oh, so many times I'm having that conversation with someone (laughs) saying, well, everything you just told me, I kind of knew, but, you know, maybe I didn't want to believe or something like that. Uh, And it's, um, uh, it's very gratifying to see companies be able to fix those issues because everybody's happier working in a more stable workforce. If somebody is, is fired for, for cause or, or, even, or just for downsizing, it affects the other people who are there. You know, we're social, we're social all of us. And even if we didn't like that person who's leaving, we're still going to be a little bit unsettled uh, because, first of all, we might think, well, what if they don't like what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. You know, it's important to get the kind of positive feedback that allows you to grow and to really focus on strengthening your strengths even more because that makes you better. Don't tell people about what they don't do well. Get somebody else on the team who loves doing that and teach them how to appreciate each other. You'll actually get more in the end. Well, and you mentioned downsizing. I would think this would be a great tool for companies if they really have to downsize to figure out where do they have extras of certain talent that exactly (laughs) exactly because it's sometimes you if you get rid of everyone of a particular kind well you can end up in trouble somebody told me a story of a uh, a large uh, aircraft company that offered a buyout because they were trying to reduce the headcount and lots of people took the people who had been there a long time took the buyout the problem is they had to bring them back at consultant rates uh, because I understand that the lines actually went down because people were running around saying, where does this part go? You know, you can't lose your institutional knowledge. And yet the people who probably have the most of it, your curators, because that's what they do, are often very unassuming people. And so people don't think of them as squeaky wheels And so they may be on the expendable list in a downsizing. They are anything but. No company can afford to let its history go away. Wow, that's fascinating because you hear of so many companies having to hire in consultants after layoffs. And that's probably why. (laughs) Well, with a little forethought. And the other thing is, before somebody retires, you can select you know, even a year in advance or more, depending on the complexity of the job. And I understand in the energy industry, we better be doing this for at least six or seven years because some of those jobs are hard to learn. It's not that they require a lot of education. They require actually doing it. And so you need to learn from the person who really knows how to do it. And you can make those kind of arrangements because it turns out that people who are curators, while they're quiet and unassuming, make wonderful mentors. And then you can have a way to make sure that your information, all that critical information and institutional knowledge isn't lost. Mm, That's amazing. Well, we're just about three minutes to close, and I understand you're working on a book. Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
the next one? <laughs> the next, oh. yes, your sixth or seventh book, I should say. Uh, this would be, you know, after a while, I've actually lost count. The last one, um, at Dr. Janice, Thoughts and Tweets on Leadership, Teamwork, and Team Ability um, was number six. And, uh, and this one, I'm actually working on something on leadership, but, you know, leadership without teams is nothing. And so it's going to be pretty different, and I think that's about all I can say other than if you follow at Dr. Janice on Twitter or uh, find me on LinkedIn where I'm pretty much all around, or um, even if you just call our office, 215-825-2500, uh, you know, you can, uh, or look on our website where the contact information, there's a contact uh, thing. You can send questions and you know what? Someone will get back to you. Might be me and might be, might be, or might be someone else if I'm not around, but um, people do um, have uh, enormous change to deal with now. And when you lead and play it like a team sport, that's how I do leadership, uh, then it's a completely different experience, not only for you as the leader, but also for everyone that's there. Wow, that's great. So do you have a title for the book coming up? Mm, I have a working title. And if, you know, working titles, uh, people who write ideas are not the ones who shape (laughs) them. So I'm vision moving this. I have, I got the big vision. I'm moving it. Uh, my, yeah, our executive vice president, Mark, who's a partner in the company, will be vision forming it. And probably someone else will be giving it the title. Usually publishers want to reserve that right for themselves. So, What a I'm great team example. <laughs> yes, we will. Yes, everything we do here is is the team, and yes, we did use our own technology, and that's why we turn out an amazing amount of work uh, with a relatively small team, and then our all of our at-a-distance virtual team of partners and investors and channels and all the other people who are involved in the growth of this whole idea that if we can just make the workplace a better place to work, we'll make the world a better place to live. That's my big picture 60s person dream. That is so inspiring and my vision as well. So, Dr. Janice, thank you so much for being my guest today. I hope you'll come back and visit us again. I'd love to. Thank you, everyone, for listening. So next week, my guest will be John Rennish, a global futurist, humanitarian, writer, and keynote speaker on the topics that integrate the subjects of business, human consciousness, and possible scenarios for the future of humanity. So what a great fit. You won't want to miss it. You can go to www.quantumbusinessinsights.com for more information. I'm your host, Olivia Parrud, saying thank you for tuning into Quantum Business Insights. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights. Please join your host, Olivia Parr-Rood, again next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk again next week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.